Chapter Ten of the Conquest of Canaan by Booth Tarkington. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten, The Tryst. He woke in the light of morning, amazed and full of a strange wonder, because he did not know what had amazed him. For a little while after his eyes opened, he lay quite motionless. Then he lifted his head slightly and shook it with some caution. This had come to be custom. The operation assured him of the worst. The room swam round him, and with a faint groan he let his head fall back upon the pillow. But he could not sleep again. Pain stung its way through his heart as memory began to come back to him. Not of the preceding night, that was all blank, but realization that a girl of whom he had dreamed so long was to be married. That his dreams had been quite hopeless was no balm to his hurt. A chime of bells sounded from a church steeple across the square, ringing out in assured righteousness, summoning the good people who maintained them to come and sit beneath them or be taken to task. And they fell so dismally upon Joe's ear that he bestirred himself and rose, to the delight of his mongrel who leaped upon him joyfully. An hour later, or thereabout, the pair emerged from the narrow stairway and stood for a moment, blinking in the fair sunshine, apparently undecided which way to go. The church bells were silent, there was no breeze. The air trembled a little with the deep pipings of the organ across the square, and, save for that, the town was very quiet. The paths which crossed the courthouse yard were flecked with steady shadow, the strong young foliage of the maples not moving having the air of observing the sabbath with propriety there were benches here and there along the walks and to one of these joe crossed and sat down the mongrel at his master's feet rolled on his back in morning ecstasy ceased abruptly to roll and began to scratch his ear with a hind foot intently a tiny hand stretched to pat his head and the dog licked it appreciatively it belonged to a hard-washed young lady of six in starchy white frills and new pink ribbons who had run ahead of her mother a belated church door and the mongrel charmed her will you give me this dog she asked without any tedious formalities involuntarily she departed before receiving a reply the mother a red-faced matron whom joe recognized as a sister of mrs loudon's consequently his step-aunt swooped at the child with a rush and rustle of silk and bore her on violently to her duty when they had gone a little way the matron's voice was heard in a sharp reproof the child held by one wrist and hurried along on tiptoe staring back over one shoulder at joe her eyes wide and her mouth the shape of the o she was ejaculating the dog looked up with wistful inquiry at his master, who cocked an eyebrow at him in return, wearing much the same expression. The mother and child disappeared within the church doors and left the square to the two. Even the hotel showed no signs of light, for the wise men were not allowed to foregather on Sundays. The organ had ceased to stir the air, and all was in quiet, yet a quiet which for Loudon was not peace. He looked at his watch, and without intending it, spoke the hour aloud. The quarter past eleven. 
The sound of his own voice gave him a little shock. He rose without knowing why, and, as he did so, it seemed to him that he heard close to his ear another voice, a woman's troubled and insistent, but clear and sweet, saying, Remember, across Main Street, bridge at noon. It was so distinct that he started and looked around. Then he laughed. I'll be seeing circus parades next. His laughter fled, for louder than the ringing in his ears unmistakably came the strains of a faraway brass band, which had no existence on land or sea or in the waters under the earth. Here, he said to the mongrel, we need a walk, I think. Let you and me move on before the camels turn the corner. The music followed him to the street where he turned westward toward the river, and presently as he walked on, fanning himself with his straw hat, it faded and was gone. But the voice he had heard returned. Remember, across Main Street, bridge at noon, it said again, close to his ear. This time he did not start. All right, he answered, wiping his forehead. If you let me alone, I'll be there. At a dingy saloon corner near the river, a shabby little man greeted him heartily and petted the mongrel. I'm mighty glad you didn't go after all, Joe, he added with a brightening face. Go where, Happy? Mr. Fear looked grave. Don't you reflect meeting me last night? Joe shook his head. No, did I? The other's jaw fell, and his brow corrugated with self-reproach. Well, if that don't show what a thick-head I am, I thought ye was all right, or I'd have gone on with ye. Nobody seed or walked straighter nor talked straighter. Said you was going to leave Canaan for good, and didn't want nobody to know it. Said you was going to take the eleven o'clock through the train for the west, and told me I couldn't come to the depot with you. Said you'd had enough of Canaan and of everything. I followed you part way to the depot, but you turned and made a motion for me to go back, and I done it, because you seemed to be kind of in trouble, and I thought you'd rather be by yourself. Well, sir, it's one on me. Not at all, said Joe. I was all right. Was you? returned the other. Do remember, do you? Almost, Joe smiled faintly. Almost echoed happy shaking his head seriously i tell you joe if i was you he began slowly then paused and shook his head again he seemed on the point of delivering some advice but evidently perceiving the snobbishness of such a proceeding or else convinced by his own experience of the futility of it he swerved to cheerfulness i hear the boys are all going to work hard for the primaries Mike says you got some chances you don't know about. He swears you'll be the next mayor of Canaan. Nonsense. Folly and nonsense, Happy. That's the kind of thing I used to think when I was a boy, but now, pshaw, Joe broke off with a tired laugh. Tell them not to waste their time. Are you going out to the beach this afternoon? The little man lowered his eyes moodily. I'll be near there, he said, scraping his patched up and down the curbstone that feller's in town again what fellow nashville they call him ed's the name he give the hospital cory him that i soaked the night you come back to canaan he's after claudine to get his evens with me he made a raise somewhere 
and plays the spender and her well i reckon she's tired waiting table at the national house tired of me too i got a hint that they're going out to the beach together this afternoon joe passed his hand wearily over his aching forehead i understand he said but you'd better try to cory's laying for you of course you say he's after your wife he must have set about it pretty openly if they're going to the beach today there's always a crowd there on sundays is it hard for you to see why he's doing it it's because he wants to make you jealous what for so that you'll tackle him again and why does he want that because he's ready for you the other's eyes suddenly became bloodshot his nostrils expanding incredibly ready is he he better be ready ah that's enough joe interrupted swiftly we'll have no talk like that i'll settle this for you myself you send word to claudine that i want to see her in my office tomorrow morning and you you stay away from the beach today. give me your word mr fear's expression softened all right joe he said i'll do whatever you tell me to any of us will do that we sure know who's our friend keep out of trouble happy joe turned to go and they shook hands good day and keep out of trouble when he had gone mr fear's countenance again gloomed ominously and shaking his head he ruminatively entered an adjacent bar through the alley door the main street bridge was an old-fashioned wooden covered one dust-colored and very narrow squarely framing the fair open country beyond for the town had never crossed the river joe found the cool shadow in the bridge gracious to his hot brow and through the slender chinks of the worn flooring he caught bright glimpses of running water when he came out of the other end he felt enough refreshed to light a cigar well here i am he said cross main street bridge and it must be getting on toward noon he spoke almost with the aspect of daring and immediately stood still listening remember remember he ventured to repeat again daring remember across main street bridge at noon and again he listened then he chuckled faintly with relief for the voice did not return thank god i've got rid of that he whispered and of the circus band too a dust road turned to the right following the river and shaded by big sycamores on the bank the mongrel intensely preoccupied with this road scampered away his nose to the ground good enough said the master lead on and i'll come after you but he had not far to follow the chase led him to a half-hollow log which lay on a low grass-grown levee above the stream where the dog's interest in the pursuit became vivid temporarily however for after a few minutes of agitated investigation he was seized with indifference to the whole world panting briefly slept joe sat upon the log which was in the shade and smoked remember he tried it once more across main street bridge at noon safety still the voice came not but the sound of his own repetition of the words brought him an eerie tremor for the midst of a memory came with it nothing tangible nothing definite but something very far away and shadowy 
yet just poignant enough to give him a queer feeling that he was really keeping an appointment here was it with some water sprite that would rise from the river was it with a dryad of the sycamores he knew too well that he might expect strange fancies to get hold of him this morning and as this one grew uncannily stronger he moved his head briskly as if to shake it off the result surprised him the fancy remained but his headache and dizziness had left him a breeze wandered up the river and touched the leaves and grass to life sparrows hopped and chirped in the branches absurdly surprised without doubt having concluded in the sunday stillness that the world would drowse forever and the mongrel lifted his head blinked at them hopelessly wishing they would alight near him scratched his ear with the manner of one who had neglected such matters overlong reversed his position slept again the young corn deep green in the bottomland moved with a staccato flurry and the dust ghost of a mad whirling dervish sped up the main road to vanish at the bridge in a climax of lunacy the stirring air brought a smell of blossoms the distance took on faint lavender hazes which blended the outlines of the fields lying like square coverlets upon the long slope of rising ground beyond the bottomland and empurpled the blue woodland shadows of the groves for the first time it struck joe that it was a beautiful day and it came to him that a beautiful day was a thing which nothing except death sickness or imprisonment could take from him not even the ban of canaan unforewarned music sounded in his ears again but he did not shrink from it now this was not the circus band he had heard as he left the square but a melody like a faraway serenade at night as of the horns of elfland faintly blowing and he closed his eyes with the sweetness of it go ahead he whispered do that all you want to if you'll keep it up like this a while i'll follow with little brown jug how i love thee it seems to pay after all the welcome strains however were but the prelude to a harsher sound which interrupted and annihilated them the courthouse bell clanging out twelve all right said joe it's noon and i'm across main street bridge he opened his eyes and looked about him whimsically then he shook his head again a lady had just emerged from the bridge and was coming toward him it would be hard to get at joe's first impressions of her we can find conveyance for only the broadest and heaviest ancient and modern instances multiply the case of the sleeper who dreams out a long story in accurate color and fine detail a tale of years in the opening and shutting of a door so with joseph in the brief space of the lady's approach and with him as with the sleeper it must have been in fact it was in his recollections later a blur of emotion at first sight of her perhaps it was pre-eminently the shock of seeing anything so exquisite where he had expected to see nothing at all for she was exquisite horrid as have been the uses of the word its best and truest belonged to her 
She was that and much more, from the ivory ferrule of the parasol she carried to the light and slender footprints she left in the dust of the road. Joe knew at once that nothing like her had ever before been seen in Canaan. He had little knowledge of the millinery arts, and he needed none to see the harmony, harmony like that of the day he had discovered a little while ago. Her dress and hat and gloves and parasol showed a pale lavender overtent like that which he had seen overspreading the western slope. Afterward he discovered that the gloves she wore that day were gray, and that her hat was of the most part white. The charm of fabric and tint belonging to what she wore was no shame to her, not being of primal importance beyond herself. It was but the expression of her daintiness and the adjunct of it. She was tall, but if Joe could have spoken or thought of her as slender, he would have been capable of calling her lips red, in which case he would not have been Joe, and would have been as far from the truth as her lips were from red, or as her supreme delicateness was from mere slenderness. Under the summer hat, her very dark hair swept back over her temples with something near trimness, in the extent to which it was withheld from being fluffy. It may be that this approach to trimness, which was, after all, only a sort of coquetry with trimness, is the true key to the mystery of the vision of the lady who appeared to Joe. Let us say that she suppressed everything that went beyond grace, that the hint of floridity was abhorrent to her. Trim is as clumsy as slender, she had escaped from the trimness of girlhood as wholly as she had gone through its coldishness, exquisite. Let us go back to Joe's own blurred first thought of her and be content with that. She was to pass him, so he thought, and as she drew near, his breath came faster. Remember across Main Street Bridge at noon? Was this the fay of whom the voice had warned him? With that there befell him the mystery of last night. He did not remember, but it was as if he lived again, dimly, the highest hour of happiness in a life a thousand years ago. Perfume and music, roses, nightingales, and plucked harp strings. Yes, something wonderful was happening to him. She had stopped directly in front of him stopped and stood looking at him with her clear eyes he did not lift his own to hers he had long experience of the averted gaze of women but it was not only that a great shyness beset him he had risen and removed his hat trying ineffectually not to clear his throat his everyday sense urging him that she was a stranger in canaan who had lost her way the preposterousness of anyone's losing the way in Canaan, not just now appealing to his everyday sense. Can I, can I, he stammered, blushing miserably, meaning to finish with, direct you or show you the way. Then he looked at her again and saw what seemed to him the strangest sight of his life. The lady's eyes had filled with tears filled and overfilled i'll sit here on the log with you she said and her voice was the voice which he had heard saying remember 
across main street bridge at noon what he gasped you don't need to dust it she went on tremulously and even then he did not know who she was End of chapter 10